All right, so chapter 1, verse 17, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed up me upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah out upon the dry land. In the 1600s, John Bunyan would write an allegory that for two centuries after that would be the second most popular book to buy besides the Bible. You see, John Bunyan found himself in prison for preaching the gospel. And in fact, they told John Bunyan, we'll let you free as long as you stop preaching the gospel. And John Bunyan said, no, I will not stop doing that. And so while in prison, he penned one of the most wonderful, wonderful allegories called the Pilgrim's Progress. And the reason I believe for its popularity is that there is not one section in it as a Christian that you can't see yourself as the main character Christian. It's a phenomenal story. It's absolutely fantastic. If you haven't read it, I would pick up a copy and read it. You can literally trace his journey or his pilgrimage, as they used in the 1600s, and you can't help but at times just say, that's me. That's where I'm at in my Christian journey. Really, the book has the power to make you laugh. It has the power to make you cry. 
It has the power to make you reflect all in the matter of a few pages. Remember the first time picking it up and hear me say this, I'm certainly not a crier. One of my faults. And I remember getting about 20 pages in and I'm like, where are these tears coming from? Didn't know I still had any in me. So while preparing for this passage, I really couldn't help but think about the pilgrim's progress. And the main character, Christians, run in with giant despair. Now I'm going to just sum it up. If you would like to know the full story, you can pick up the book and read it for yourself. Or you can watch the cartoon movie that there is out there. But what is going on is the main character, Christian, finds himself on the straight and narrow path with his good friend, Hopeful. And as Christian and Hopeful are walking down the straight and narrow path, they look forward and they see that the path ahead of them is rough. In fact, I think the word that is used is it's going to be rough on our feet. And then they see in another direction, another path. A path in the distance that leads to a meadow. This will be, as they say, light on our feet. And so Christian talks hopeful into going down the other path. They were told, stay on this path, the straight and narrow path. It will be easier, but they see the meadow, and so they decide to go that way. As they're in the meadow, a storm comes, which causes them to take cover for the night. And when they wake up, they are faced with a giant, giant despair. He takes them, he grabs them, he brings them back to his fortress, he beats them, and then he throws them into a dungeon. While being in the dungeon, Giant Despair's wife comes down. Giant Despair asks, what should we do? His wife says, give them knives so they can take their own lives. And as Christian is in the cage, in the dungeon, locked up, he can't help but reflect how he should have stayed on the straight and narrow path. His disobedience led him and Hopeful into giant despair's clutches and in the dungeon where now they are given knives to kill themselves. And as he's there lamenting, he remembers something. He remembers that he was given a key. Deep down in the dungeon, he remembers that he was given a key to get out of Giant Despair's house. It was a key that could unlock any room in Giant Despair's house. And so he put the key in the dungeon and he opened it. And the gate flung open. And I think we see some similarities with Christian and what we will see Jonah do in today's passage. Jonah's been on the run from God. He's trying to flee God's presence, and yet he hasn't gotten any further from God, strangely enough. And Jonah finds himself in a storm like Christian, threatening his life, 
threatening the sailors' lives. He says, the only thing to do to save your lives is to pick me up and throw me into the sea. And so he has the sailors throw him into the sea overboard, which meant death for him and life for the sailors. But something happens as Jonah is plunging to his death. What is it? He too remembers that he has a key. In all his running, in all his backsliding, he had forgotten that he too, like Christian, had a key. And what this key looks like is that when all seems lost, he can call out to God. And God is there to extend his grace. What we are going to see in our passage today is Jonah's prayer of repentance and restoration. As Jonah plunges deep into the sea, he calls out to God. He prays. He prays recognizing God's grace, His gracious discipline, His gracious deliverance, and His gracious salvation. And then the fish spits him out onto dry land. And so we come to our passage today and we see maybe one of the most scandalous things in this passage is this, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We come to that and we say, really? He was swallowed up into a fish. A big fish, a giant fish. This fish must have been huge to swallow a grown man. Now, there are many who, when they read this, they say, this has to be a fairy tale. There are many who have written this off and said, well, nobody can be swallowed by a giant fish because it's just impossible. Some of the largest whales have some of the smallest um, esophaguses and throats to swallow people. That's not actually always true. There are cases, but people have tried writing this off. But with God, we do have to factor in the miraculous. And here's the, the deal. I believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a great fish. I don't think this is actually as scandalous as claiming to believe in God coming down in the flesh and dying three days and rising three days later, which I believe that scandal too to be true. This is a miracle that is taking place. This is God working. And we see this in that he just speaks to the fish and tells him, this is your purpose, fish. Go and get Jonah. And so like when I tell Ruby play fetch with her go and get the tennis ball God too to this giant fish said fetch Jonah and he went and got Jonah but here's here's the deal we cannot get distracted by the miracle although this is a great miracle we cannot get distracted by what's going on in the fish the the great problem in this story for far too many people is that they zero in on this one thing that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and what we end up doing is neglecting 
what's going on in the heart of Jonah. We look at what's going on in the fish, and then we just forget about what's going on in Jonah's heart. And that's what we must see this morning. We, we have to look at this passage, not in that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, but that something is taking place in Jonah's heart. He's experiencing a freshness of God's grace. He's coming to his senses. We see repentance and restoration taking form right in front of our eyes. The amazing thing is up to this point, Jonah has been running and running and has been successful for the most part, but now he is trapped. He's trapped in this underwater shuttle. He's got some time to think. He can no longer run. And guess what? It's at this point that Jonah experiences God's grace in a new and fresh way. God's discipline is always to teach us something as children. And so in this first section, verses 2 through 4, we see that Jonah took out the key that he had forgotten. He called out to the Lord in his distress. I'll just read these verses for us, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He realizes this backslidden prophet, I can pull out the key and call out to the Lord. And this is what he does. In fact, he doesn't just call out, he cries out. And God heard his voice. And this is always the case for God's children. If you read when Israel is in Egypt, the Lord tells Moses, I heard your affliction. I see it. I know it. And he sees this and hears this and knows it with Jonah. I mean, let's think about it. If you have a child, if you have a niece or a nephew or somebody that is close to you, if, if they cry out for your help, are you not quick to respond? Or do you leave them there to suffer? And this is what's going on here is that as Jonah calls out, the Lord God hears him. So this is a prayer of Jonah. It's a prayer, like I said, broken up in three ways. Two through four, God's gracious discipline. Five through seven, God's gracious deliverance. And eight through ten, God's gracious salvation. And here's the first thing that Jonah prays. It's not something that we would probably think of right away, but the first thing that Jonah prays and realizes is that it is God who cast him into the heart of the sea. He doesn't look at the sailors and praise to God. God, those sailors casted me in here. 
he recognizes this was your divine and sovereign plan to cast me into the sea to get my attention. It is your waves, God, your billows that surrounded me and came over me. They crashed down on top of me. Jonah realizes that it was God who sent the storm. It is God who is disciplining him in this moment to train him for something so much more. So we must really know this. We must know this deep down in all corners, nooks and crannies of our heart, that discipline from the Lord only occurs towards those whom he loves. He disciplines those whom he loves. And Jonah knew this. However, here's the reality, and this is the transparency of Jonah's prayer that I absolutely love, is that he's not afraid to think that I'm going to pray saying I'm too far gone. See, the amazing thing about this prayer is that although this prophet is confessing and saying, I'm too far gone, what he doesn't realize far too often, like we don't realize, is that he's still praying to the Lord. He's still going to him in prayer. He says it, I am driven from your sight. This is a prophet that would have known the theological language of omnipresent, that God is present everywhere. And Jonah here is saying, I'm driven from your sight. I'm so far away from you, Lord, that you can't even see me. And this is at times what we face too, is it not? We feel the condemnation of persistent sin or the weight of this world that is driving us to feel, I'm too far from your sight, Lord. But this is a lie that we just have to spike to the floor. We have to throw it in the garbage. Because Jonah's immediate, immediately follows up with the truth. I will see your temple again. I'll look at it. I will look at your temple again. God's holy temple. Jonah acknowledges that discipline, no matter what your age, right? This is, Sharice and I are going through this, this season of life right now, trying to figure out how to discipline our child. It's exhausting. It's hard. But there's one common theme throughout discipline when it comes to everybody is nobody likes discipline and everybody thinks that they shouldn't have discipline. And so when it happens to us, we kind of throw up our arms thinking, this isn't fair. What did I do to deserve this discipline? It doesn't matter your age. You can be three or you can be 83. We struggle with being disciplined, especially by the Lord. Because it makes it feel like God has distanced himself from us. But the reality is, is that that's not true at all. That's the furthest thing from the truth. God's discipline means he's actually near to you. And Jonah is calling out, praying to him. It means that Jonah's waking up to this reality that God is disciplining him. And that God is extending grace to him. 
But here's a very important thing that we're going to see in Jonah's prayer here. Is that it's not until Jonah's at his lowest point that he's actually able to experience God's grace. And this is the truth, too, for us. Is that it's only until we see clearly the depth and the darkness of our sin that we can clearly see the majesty and greatness of God's grace. And Jonah is confronted with this darkness in the belly of the fish. He thinks he's done. The waters closed in over me, Jonah says, to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Jonah saying, there's no way out. The waters, they're closing in around me. I've sunk as deep as I possibly could. The, the weeds are tangling my legs, my arms, my feet, and my head. This is how far Jonah has come. And so I think it's important for us just to, to quickly see this emphasis throughout Jonah of the word down. We've seen up to this point, Jonah say, I've gone down to Joppa. I went down into the boat. And while he was in the boat, he even went down into the inner part of the boat. And now he is down in a watery traveling shuttle. This doesn't just explain where he's at physically. This explains where he's at spiritually as well. He is down. His fleeing has caused him to end up on the bottom of the sea. I mean, think about that. His running from God led him to the bottom of the sea. And what Jonah believes is that he's locked up. He's barred. It says right here, the bars closed upon me forever. He doesn't believe that there's hope for him. He believes he's trapped. He believes his backsliding has caused him to fall away this far from the Lord that he will never escape again. But the reality is, and the truth is, and what Scripture shows us time after time after time, is that God works out great things in people who are at low points. He really does. Here's a couple of illustrations for us quickly. We see G Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a thief. Jacob constantly was stealing and manipulating his family. Talk about a good guy. He stole his brother's birthright from him. He stole his brother's blessing from him. And when his brother wanted to kill him, he ran away to his uncle. And what did he do to his uncle? He did the same thing to his uncle. He cheated his uncle out of his, his livestock. And then years later, when he's confronted with his brother, 
he sets up his family and his servants in such a way that where if Esau is going to come and kill him, that at least him and his family would be able to flee while everyone else took the brunt of the damage. And yet God was using this to prepare Jacob to become the nation of Israel. We see this in Joseph. Joseph, the, the prideful younger brother. Imagine if one of your family members came up to you and said, I and you already don't like them, okay? Let's just add that. You don't like them. They're already arrogant, a little cocky, a little smug. And they come up to you and they say, I just had a dream and you're going to bow down to me. And you say, oh, what's new? We already do that. And his brothers throw him in a pit, a physical, real pit, and sell him into slavery. And yet the Lord used this season of Joseph's life, about 15 years, to train him, to prepare him, to not only save Egypt, but save his family. And so we see that right now God is doing something in the heart of Jonah to prepare him for what God wants him to do. What is it? What did Jonah run away from? He didn't want to extend grace to Nineveh. It's because Jonah himself had a very thin view of what God's grace looked like. We're going to see later that Jonah doesn't fully get it, but we're going to see that Jonah still goes and then preaches to the Ninevites. And so God uses the low points in our lives. He uses discipline in our lives to do great things. This is what he experiences. He experiences God's grace as we see in verse, verses uh, 6 through 7. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you, you, God, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple despite his backsliding and his disobedience. It is, it is God who will deliver him from his position. God will reach down and take him out of the pit. This is the key calling upon the name of the Lord. When his life was fainting away, he remembered the goodness and graciousness of the Lord. He remembered that God is a God with a tender and gracious heart towards sinners. And so I can go to him. This is a pretty amazing thing that Jonah would pray. And far too often in our backsliding, we've, we run further. Jonah finishes up with this word he uses the second time, which I just want to hit on for us because it's incredibly important. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. As I was studying for this, uh, Tim Keller summarized it, I think, great. What Jonah is doing here is he is saying that my prayer is going into the holy of holies. In the Holy of Holies, that's where they sprinkled the blood. It's where the sacrificial blood would go, the atonement blood would go. And so Jonah is saying, direct access 
because of that blood that has been spilt for me, I have direct access. Now, Jonah doesn't know that centuries later that Jesus would come. But what a beautiful picture that is for the backsliding Christian, for the one who is experiencing affliction and pain. Is that Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice, the blood that was sprinkled for us to cleanse us from our sins so that we could have direct access with the Father. That we could call out knowing that he is interceding for us on our behalf. That we would know like the prodigal son as we're feeding on pig food. I have a good father who will take me back in. You have access You have access to the Father. And maybe right now there's just so much condemnation built up in your heart that's laid on your back like a big, huge burden. And you're just thinking right now, I, it was just going to be one drink and now it's just multiple a night. God could never forgive me. It was just going to be one look that turned into an affair or a pornography addiction. You thought it was just going to be one time of accidentally messing with the numbers on taxes, but it's been years of stealing. Maybe like Jonah, you thought, well, just one hateful thought towards another person, but now they just disgust you and you can't stand to be in the same room with them. You can be pulled out of the pit like Jonah too you can experience God's grace in a fresh way. You have the key. Call out, cry out to your heavenly Father. Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now. Turn to him and call out. And maybe you're, you're not a believer. Maybe you're in the same position though. Maybe you're in a spot where you're saying, I've got nowhere else to turn. I've tried everything. And I just kept digging the pit deeper and deeper. Let me say this, and let me say this as clear as I can. Jesus has died for you. You haven't out-sinned his grace. There's not one sin that Jesus looks at and says, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do with that one. He covers it. And through our faith and repentance, you too can have access and be restored. All it is is just trust. It's trust in Him and He will reach down and pull you out from the pit just like He did with Jonah. And so we're seeing this attitude change. In Jonah's heart, his experience underwater is much different than on the boat or on land. He's now experienced 
the grace of God in a fresh way. And he lets us know. In verses 8 and 9, we, we see this amazing declaration, this amazing truth. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the sacra, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a guy who was saying just ten verses ago. Well, not even this was a guy who was saying on a boat moments ago. I'm not going to pray and call out to my God to save you. The best thing that I could come up with is you just throw me overboard. And now he's saying salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is really a completely different man. He acknowledges vain idols. They lead to no hope. They lead to no steadfast love. I don't know if you've felt this way. But this is where idols leave us. We believe that things of this world will bring some type of love. And yet everything seems to fall short of the love that we're actually looking for. Here, the best way that I could possibly illustrate this, and this is gonna this might be blasphemous, maybe not. God forgive me. It's like Lay's potato chips. You can eat a whole bag and you still just want more. That's what Jonah is praying here right now. Idols just never satisfy your hunger. You can eat it and eat it and eat it and that hunger never goes away. But what Jonah is declaring right here, steadfast love belongs to the Lord and he fills that. My, my hunger is complete in him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, he says, I will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. And salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is realizing something powerful. That is only the Lord satisfies. Only the Lord can complete what we are looking for. Only the Lord is deserving of all glory and majesty. And what Jonah is saying is, I will live for the Lord. I will do what he asks of me. And I will do it with thanksgiving in my heart. Because in the Lord, I find true love, everlasting love, steadfast love. This is the love of God, which he loved us before anything was created. And so then our passage, as Jonah is in the belly of the fish, comes to an abrupt stop and he tells the great fish, spit him out, and Jonah was vomited out upon the dry land. It doesn't matter how far you've run. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And God has a tender and gracious love towards backsliding sinners. 
he will extend and he does extend his grace to Jonah and he extends it to you too. And so if that's you this morning, then what am I called to do? We are called to repent, turn around. I think one of the the greatest things that we don't see in this is that Jonah is going down. He's going away from Nineveh. And what God does is physically turn him around for him. Repentance is turning from your sin and walking with God. So please, when we leave here, let's think that God's discipline is not a bad thing for us, but actually a good thing for us. He only disciplines his children, and it is a gracious act. It's really an act of love. It's an act of his kindness. And let this be made known. Let me say this, and please listen. If you are his child, he will not let you drown. He won't. It may seem like the waves are crashing in, that the billows are all around you, but he will not let you drown. And there are times when we think we will because we can't see around the waves, but he will not let you drown. And it's here While the waves are crashing and the billows are around us and the seaweed is wrapped around our head and we are down deep where we get the greatest privilege of experiencing his grace. It's not hopeless. This isn't a hopeless experience. It's a gracious and great experience. And we know we've experienced this and then how we respond. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Please allow us, like Jonah, when in times of distress, when in times of backsliding, to pull out the key and cry out, to call out to you, knowing that you will answer us. You will never leave nor forsake us. But sometimes your discipline feels like that you have. And we see in Jonah's life that that is not the case at all. That you are still right there with Jonah, being kind to him, leading him to repentance, to trust in you, to work out something great in his heart for your glory. And so I just ask this morning, Father, please, Let us be a people that are marked by faith and repentance. And that if there are those who are backsliding and think that they cannot come to you, that it is 
hopeless for them. That the evil one is whispering sour lies into their ears, saying, You have totally outsinned his grace. You're not worthy. You're a hopeless fool. That right now, at this moment, that you would uplift them, that you would encourage them, that they would say, I am all of those things and more, but Jesus has died for me. And because of that, I will call out to him. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.